Praise the Lord, everybody. I always wanted to be able to say this. The junior church may be dismissed. <laughs> I love that. I've looked forward to the day to be able to say that, to be honest with you. Who's glad to be in the house of God tonight? Who knows that God's name makes the shadows seem bright? Makes the darkness tremble. I'd like to uh, share a little bit of something that I truly believe that God has given to me tonight. You may be seated if you want. I want to share a little bit of a, a story with you right quick. I was uh, reading an article this week about a family that was out on just a leisurely drive. Nothing new, nothing special, and they said all of a sudden they were rear-ended by an 18-wheeler. And the guy, the dad, his name was Harold, he was driving, and he said he kind of came to after the accident. He said he was sitting in a broken windshield full of blood, looked over at his wife. Her name was Tiffany. said they looked, and they had three children in the back of the van, which took the brunt of the accident said Caden, their nine-year-old son, he was slumped over lifeless. And, you know, they, uh, she was able to get out of the car or the van and begin to pull her two young children out. And she said as she was taking her children out of the van, she said this spirit of peace came over. Who knows, who knows when everything's going wrong around you, if you got the right mindset, the right spirit about you, peace always overrides tragedy, you know. And as she looked to her son, Caden, he kind of came in and out of consciousness, and they got him out of the van. She said she looked over, and the semi-driver, his name was Roger, he was hunkered over against the berm on the bridge, and he was in a fetal position, and he was crying his eyes out. And he was hurt pretty bad from the accident himself. And she said, I walked over, she said, at first, I was kind of not knowing what to do, but she said, then the Spirit of God came to me again and said, he needs prayer just like you. She said, so I leaned over and I laid my hands on him and I began to pray. And at first, he was a little bit reluctant. He didn't know how to take that, you know. And, you know, I said that to say this to you. Sometimes when you lay your hands on somebody and the Spirit of God is there, they don't really know how to accept that. And... uh the story went on to talk about how that they told him that, you know, he had a brain injury that was going to be either A, fatal, or B, he'd be a paraplegic the rest of his life. Said they didn't accept that. They said in the hospital room that peace came back again. You see, you see the little development here? That peace never left their side. And that's because they were good people. They were good people of God. They, they leaned on God. They trusted in the understanding, and they knew that prayer changed things. Like Pastor John said a while ago, this is a church that prays without ceasing. And I want to share something with you tonight. If the prayer that you're praying doesn't get answered in the means that you're praying, it doesn't mean that it wasn't answered. Okay? That just means that God's will sometimes is a little harder to understand than our will. But the story went on as that young man began to recover. And they called that truck driver, and he come and visited her son said they walked in the hospital room, and he was sitting up. He was awake. He was able to draw on cardboard paper, and 
everything like that. So they walked over, and he couldn't speak, but said they asked him, Brother Joe said, uh, this is Roger. This is the guy that was in the accident with us, said, do you forgive Roger? And said with his little shaking, trembling hands, he drawled up a little thumbs up on that piece of paper, and he turned it around, and he said, yes, nodded his head. And then he said, she said he began to write. And he said, Roger, I forgive you for what happened, and I love you, and I'm praying. Nine, ten years old, and that kid has more God than most people that's 50. That's pretty sad. But I said that to say this to you because I want to take your attention tonight to the book of Exodus, the 34th chapter. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about what God laid on my heart. To be honest with you, three weeks ago when we were doing the men's conference, I sent a text to to the men and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to, to attend breakfast because I'm going to be studying for my message. And Brother Chris said, the message for Tuesday night in three weeks? And I said, yes, sir, because believe me, I had a message, man, and I was ready to preach, and I was ready to go at it. And uh, at the last minute, God said, no, that's not, that's not time. That's not time. So he took me down an entirely different avenue. And in Exodus, the 34th chapter, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words, that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man, no man, shall come up with thee, neither let there any man, let any man be Seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And he hewed, this is Moses again, and he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, God merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, we can't hardly forgive one person. Yeah, I heard it mentioned here the other day that God forgave an entire world. But we get wronged in some way, shape, or form. We can't forgive somebody and we can't move on. We feel like we got to beat that old horse until it can't get up, and then we got to beat it some more. And then when we get past it, we want to go back and relive it. So we want to go back and pull that horse up again and beat on it some more because we're not satisfied yet that it's dead. But like in the story that I just told you about the young man, he already had forgiveness in his heart. For much forgiveness bringeth forth much love. And the Lord passed by before him 
and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and an abundant in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, and that the will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of their fathers upon the children and upon their children's children and upon and, and the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go up among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquities and our sins, that, and take us for thy inheritance. You see what Moses was doing there? Moses was begging for forgiveness for the Israelite children. It amazes me how that when the men and women of God in our life prepare something for us and we take it at face value. I'm going to share something with you folks. God's word is not face value. It's not face value. It's something that should be rooted and grounded and etched upon the tables. You know the word tables in your heart. Etched upon the tables of your heart. And without that, you won't have forgiveness. Without that, you won't have mercy. You won't have long-suffering. And without that, you will bring the transgressions of your sins down on your children and your children's children and as many children as you can be seen far off. The Bible says, for one man's obedience, many shall prosper. For one man's disobedience, many shall suffer. So I'm going to ask you tonight, do you love the people sitting around you? Do you love your family? Do you love your loved ones, your wife, your your children, your husband, your pastor, your church, do you love them? If you do, then be obedient to the will of God. And being obedient, that brings forth sacrifice. Sacrifice is something you have to do in order for God to answer some of your prayers sometimes. Sometimes God requires a little bit of something from us. He don't just freely give out gifts. It's like you going, not going to work and expecting to sit at home and collect a paycheck, even though that's the way the country seems to be going right now. It's not true. Somebody's working for you to get your paycheck. Somebody is, just not you. And you know, so many times we lean on the pastor of the church or the deacons in the church or the ministers in the church or the worship team in the church. When does our part come in? As lay members, when does our part come in? You think it's a little bit inconvenient to get up and go to the hospital and pray for somebody. You might think it's a little bit convenient to roll out of your bed at 1 or 2 in the morning and hit your knees. You might think that's a little bit inconvenient for you. It's a little bit of an inconvenience that you have to sacrifice something for God to answer a prayer. You know, the other day I had something happen to me, and I'm going to be honest with you, it startled me. I was laying in my bed. I began to suck in air like I never tried to before. I just couldn't breathe. My wife was laying next to me, and I wasn't about to wake her up. I thought, you know what? It's going to be all right. And I remember laying there with my eyes closed. I said, God, this isn't for me. This isn't my problem. You're, you're, you're putting somebody else's pain in me. And I don't know who it is, but I, I started praying for Brother Brad. I started praying for Brother Willie. I started praying for a bunch of other people, 
And I rolled out of my bed because I told you before, don't lay there. Don't lay there. This on your back saying, dear Lord Jesus, please reach down and touch somebody. That's not a prayer. Get out and lift your voice up and let God know that you're serious about it and let God know that you're ready to do something about the situation and you're willing to let that lion roar, Brother, brother Chris. You know, so I rolled out of bed. I hit my knees. I began to pray harder. Got back up in my bed, laid there, and got a little comfortable, and I still was like, and I couldn't breathe. Next thing I know, I broke out into a cold sweat. I got up, still didn't wake nobody up in the house. I, that's me. I'm kind of that hard-headed guy, you know, that I can do it all until it's too late and I can't do it no more. Then I go get help. Instead of getting up and getting help in the first place, see, like some of you, you don't want to come to the altar and get help because you want to be able to do it on your own. I'm going to tell you something. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You cannot change some things on your own. You need people around you. I'm going to tell you something. There was a time that I would walk through my house and all I heard was rap music, nasty, dumb junk being played on the radio, all kinds of dumb stuff. I remember one time I even took a cassette out and my son come running here. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to break this in half. He goes, that don't belong to me. I said, I don't care who it belongs to. I'm going to break it in half. I said, you take it and you get it out of here. And if it comes back, I promise you I'm going to break it in half. So I come back home, turn on the radio one night, getting ready for church, driving from Trafalgar to Fountain Square. That's an inconvenience. After, after driving from Greenwood to, Fountain, to Trafalgar, I wanted to stay home. But I came home, I got ready, and I reached over to turn on the stereo to listen to some gospel music, and there was that stupid cassette back in there again. So I reached in it, grabbed it out of the stereo, took it back in my son's room, broke it in half, laid it on his bed. He come home, he said, why'd you break my, my, my cassette? I said, I thought you said that wasn't your cassette. I thought you said that belonged to a friend of yours. So you got your cassette broke for lying to me. See, God will break you if you lie to him. He will break you. He will put you in situations where you have to depend on him. You will be put in situations where you have no choice but to trust in God. You know, there is... So many times in the word of God where God forgave the children of Israel and they went right back to being disobedient all over again. Do you think that was put there by coincidence? Do you think the prophets didn't know what they were doing when they were writing the word of God and they were being inspired by God? They knew what the human race was going to do. It's going to be obedient sometimes and sometimes it's going to be disobedient. It just depends on how, what kind of mood we're in. It depends on what our situation in life is. If we're high on the mountain, Mom, it's easy to worship God high on the mountain. Just like Moses, he went up to the mountaintop. He knew God was going to be waiting there for him. So when you get to your knees, you know God's going to be waiting there for you. You know, I had something happen to me there, and I had, again, Brother Willie. My phone rang the other night. And it was Willie's number. And just like always, I always try to uplift Willie's spirit. I said, Willie G., what's going on? I was all excited. My buddy hadn't called me in a couple of days, and I hadn't been able to talk to him. And it was his wife on the other end. She said, it's not Willie, Carl. It's Carolyn. 
I said, what's going on, Sister Carolyn? She said, Willie wants to hear your voice. Simple as that. He just wanted to hear my voice. And I hear Willie in a faint little voice in the background. He said, please pray for me. I said, Willie, I'll pray for you. He said, no, please pray for me. So I broke out in prayer. I broke out in prayer with my buddy on the phone. I cried. I tried not to show it to him. I tried to hide it from him. We got done. His voice got a lot better. And he said, thank you. I'll be home soon. He said, I want you to have your oil ready. I want to be anointed. I want you to pray over me. You know, that was the last time I talked to my buddy. The last time I got to have a conversation with him. Yet so many times, we tend to get too busy. We get too sidetracked. We get too involved in self-indulgence. We got too many things going on. We got to make a living for our family. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to be here. We got to be there. You know, right now, I think I would rather be busy for God than busy for the devil any day. I'll be honest with you. Right now, in this day and age, where everything that was wrong and bad is now accepted and good, and everything that was good is now bad and being declined and rejected, you have so many things in this world right now that are so upside down. Don't let your salvation be questioned. Moses went back yet again because he come down from the mountain. The children of Israel, oh, they were done having themselves a party. They done convinced Aaron, throw all of our gold in a pot. Let's make a golden calf. We need something that we can wash it. Something that we can wash it. The almighty dollar, the financial gains, the positions in the world. All these things, they're all golden calves, and we don't even realize it. We chase after false images all day long. We chase after things that aren't going to be beneficial to us in the long run. Do you know what it's like to hear an old man say, pray for me? And you don't know what the outcome's going to be like? Do you know what it's like to hear a young man say, I've only lived half my life? Why am I being like this? Do you know what it's like to hear a young man say, have I done enough? Have I done enough to convince God that I'm okay? That I'm ready to come home? Have I done enough? I ask you tonight, have you done enough? Have you done enough? Have you got involved in everything you can possibly get involved in? In the Bible studies, the prayer and worship, and everything else that goes on. You know what? I love coming over here. I, I come over here the other day, and I sit right there where the pastor's sitting at, and I was in the dark. And all I could think about was a young man that sat right back there behind Brother Paul that was dying of cancer, but he made his way to the house of God every chance he got. You know how ashamed I felt? I sat there with tears in my eyes thinking, that man had to be helped in here. But he still came. And you know why? It might have been a little bit of fear. It might have been a little bit of, hey, maybe this will work for me. It might have been a little bit of, this is my last chance. 
But nevertheless, he did it. He did it. So Moses, Moses journeys back up to the Mount Sinai again, takes another set of tablets, and, he, and God comes down and blesses him and stands in front of him in a cloud of smoke, and he writes upon the tables again. And this time when Moses came back down, something far greater happened. This time Moses had it written upon the tables of his heart. See, you can't. You can't share the word of God if it's not written upon the tables of your heart. You can talk a good talk. You can speak a good speech. You can be the best order there is. But unless you got it down deep inside, you're just a talker. You're just a talker. I have watched so many evangelists and pastors and preachers that can talk a good talk, make you feel good for a moment. I don't want that feel-good moment thing. I want to feel good all the time. I want to go out of here and still be talking about the messages that are being preached in this place and the, and the praise and worship that's coming up in this place. I want to take it with me on my job. I want to take it on. I want to get in my car. I want to be able to feel the presence of God in my car. I want to be in God's presence all the time. You've heard Pastor John stand up here and talk about it, driving around 465, just turn on some preaching and just sit there and cry all the way around the road to the point where he's probably got to work and go, man, how did I get here? How did I get here? It says, I, I, I took some notes here. It says, so God told Moses, let's do this again. We know that there is that this is the kind of God that we serve. Sometimes we try to use it for our benefit. Don't try to play games with God. If I can get anything across to you tonight, don't play games with God. You can play games with Brother Carl. You can play games with Pastor John. You can lie to Pastor John and convince him you're doing the best you can do to live the life that you know you need to be living. But I'm going to tell you right now, don't play games with God. That's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a just and living God. And that's what the children of Israel kept doing. That's why they had kings that was over them that couldn't run the race and ended up putting them right back in the same situation they were in that God reached down with the grace and said, okay, come on, let's try this again. Just like some of us, we come to the altar repeatedly. And I'm going to call it just what it is. Sometimes you come to the altar repeatedly because you just can't seem to get away from the thing that you ain't supposed to be doing. This isn't a place to come and get right. It's a place to come and stay right. It's a place to come up here and let your heart pour out to God and let God know, I'm serious this time, God. I don't want to go back there no more. I don't want to live like that no more. I don't need that no more. I want deliverance from that. You know, I wish my nephew David was sitting here because one time him and I was having a, a conversation. I never will forget it. And I looked at him and I was starting to do that old that old preacher man thing, you know what I mean? Hey, you know you're doing wrong. You, you know you're going to go to hell. You're you're backslidden, and you know you're and, and you're and, and you're. And I said, what happened to that young man that used to put my son on his shoulders and play basketball with him? Now keep in mind, my nephew was stoned at that time when I was talking to him. He looked at me, and tears swelled up in his eyes, and he said, "Life got me, Uncle Carl." I said, "Life got you, huh?" He said, "I enjoy doing what I'm doing." I said, well, there ain't no point in me preaching to you until you don't. Until you don't want to change, there ain't no reason for somebody to keep coming and beating on your door. You got to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship between you and God, or it's never going to make a difference in your life. We can pray for you till the cows come home. But unless you're willing to accept that change and you're willing to apply the principles of the doctrine 
and the evidence of the and the evidence of the Spirit living inside of you. Until you're willing to do that, all the prayers are nothing but words. You have to make that change. You know, I remember many, many years ago, this young man preached a message that I've never forgotten. Never thought about it before. Never give it a second thought. But I heard him say, there's one thing God can't do, and that's override your will because he gave it to you. Why do you think the word God says, let God's will be your will? God's will is much higher than your will. God's ways are much higher than your ways. There's been some, some pretty darn good messages preached around here a little bit, and I'm going to bring you back to your remembrance. It says, Brother, Brother Bo asked, how tired are you? How tired are you? How tired are you? Are you tired enough that you're ready to tell the enemy you're tired of fighting and you're not going to fight no more because you're going to whoop his backside and it's going to be over with? Are you tired enough yet? Brother Paul asked, the rapture of the church, are you ready or not? Are you ready? Are you not? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you just playing church? You know, there's this little game that we used to do. It was funny. Back when I was a little kid, we played this little game called playing house. I don't ever want to play with God. I don't ever want to play with God. I, when I ask God to do something, I want God to show me I'm going to do this, but I need this from you first. And I'm going to do my best. My son preached a message one time about being broken before you can be, what was it, broken before you can be fixed, right? You don't have to be broken. You choose to be broken. That's your choice. God's just there to fix you. God's there to help you through it. And it goes on. And Brother Chris preached about the lion, let the lion roar. Pastor John preached about the day the door become heaven's portal. You think there's ever been a time in life that you don't need God? You need God more than ever now. I was talking to a young man the other day. He said, you know, I know what I did was wrong. I had to back up and regroup. There's nothing wrong with backing up and regrouping. Just don't back up too far. Don't hit the reverse button too much. Because next thing you know, you'll be backslidden. There's one thing that I've heard said many, many times in my life. I got to find myself. No, you don't. You're not lost. You know what you're doing. You know the decisions you're making. I used to get sick and tired of hearing that. There was a friend of mine. He's passed on now. But every time things went wrong in his life and he went back and started doing the stuff, he said, I had to find myself. I had to find myself. How about you stop finding yourself in the bars or finding yourself in the fornication? Or finding yourself in anything else that's not of God. How about you stop finding yourself in those things and find yourself in a church that will change your life forever, such as breaking bread? How about you find your way to a church and pray, God, you change me because I can't do it on my own. I need your help. I need you to stretch out inside of me and say, let's go, boy. Let's go, girl. Let's do this. Come on, sir. Come on, madam. You're better than that. You know, life beats us up so much. Every day I walk in my job, and I don't know what the next smart word's going to be said to me. But I don't have to let that affect me. 
I don't have to let that define me. The situations around you don't have to define you. The situations around you don't have to make you be the person you don't want to be. Or do you choose to be that way? Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. You choose to be a grouchy old person. You choose to be a negative old person where nothing in life is right. You choose to make those decisions. Or you can choose to say, you know what, devil? So what? Things didn't end out the way I wanted them. I don't care because God's got better plans. So what? That job didn't pan out. That's okay because God's got something better down the road. So what? That's, that, that girlfriend or that boyfriend didn't pan out. That's okay. God's got something better down the road. And I'm going to go a little bit farther, okay? I'm going to take you just a little bit deeper. If that baby doesn't make it, God's got something better planned. Trust me. If that person you're praying for doesn't make it, God's got something better planned. If that prayer didn't end up like you wanted it to, God's got something better planned. He's got something better for you. He's got something better for you. You know, there's not a time that I walk in this in this church, not one single time, that I'll walk in this church and look around and start thinking about all the miracles that sits in this place. And you know what? We begin to get so comfortable with God's blessings that they're no longer miracles. They're just things that happens. They're just, I don't know why I'm going down this avenue, but I'm going to go anyways because this is what God's telling me to say. We come in here and we look around and we go, oh, well, you know, there's baby Millie. Well, you know, she's old enough now. The newness has wore off. She just kind of a, she just kind of fits in now. Not in my life. I'm going to tell you right now, not in my life. Every time I look at Millie, I think, my God, that's a blessing from heaven that God sent down every single time. Every time I look at my daughter, and I remember standing in the nursery, taking a needle and pricking her in the bottom of the foot, trying to get her to cry, and all she could do was go, eh, eh. And they're telling me, if you don't get her to cry, we're going to have to put her in an incubator and take her north and get her to Riley Hospital. And then we spent six weeks at Riley, and then we spent six weeks at St. Francis. But I still went back every single day praying because I knew God was going to change the situation. God was going to change the situation. And I'm going to tell you something. I've also been praying some prayers before, and I've heard the Spirit of God say, it's okay, stop praying, my will's done. It's okay, stop praying, I got this. That happened to me in this sanctuary the other night. I was sitting there, and I was knelt down over there, and I was praying, and I heard the voice of God saying, it's okay, I got this. Now, I didn't know what that meant until I got the phone call about Brother Brad. And then I knew God got this. God's got this. You know, I thank God today because I've had so many examples that I can look back over my life. I've watched a man reach up and wipe the scabs off of his face as he's preaching. I've watched, watched my grandmother in the basement of a house get happy and shout and dance and run all over the place and bump her head on the, on the meter, the gas meter, and never even stop. I've watched men and women jumping and shouting, Pastor John, all around a potbelly stove but never one time scorched the clothes they were wearing. I've watched these things happen with my own eyes. I'm pretty sad that you haven't seen those. Maybe if you've seen those kind of things, your walk with God would be a little more serious. Or maybe you're just not looking for the right places to make your life serious. Every time I get to lay down beside my wife at night and go to sleep, I think about the miracle of God. Every time I get to walk in here and I get to see Sister Nicole, I think about the miracle of God. Every time I get to walk in here and I get to see Brother Paul and Sister Melissa sitting here, I think about the miracle of God because of all they've been through to get to where they're at. 
I think about the miracle of God. When I come in here and I see Brother Elisha up here with his hands up in the air praying, I think about the miracles of God. When I walk in here and I see my nephew David with his hands up in the air and tears just pouring down his face, and I know where he come from, I think about the miracles of God. I think about the miracles of God. I could sit around and start nitpicking everything and start talking about this that I don't like and that that I don't like, and then I don't, I don't agree with this situation or that situation, but I choose to meditate on the miracles of God. I choose. It's a choice. Every time I look at my Uncle Lonnie sitting back there in the back of the church or when he comes to my house for a Bible study on Thursday night, I think about the miracles of God. The man had leukemia. They gave him up for dead, and he's a walking, living testimony of God's power tonight. He is absolutely at a miracle. He's a miracle. But I can just talk, uh, talk to him and think, well, that's just my uncle. No, I choose to look at him as a miracle. I choose to look at it what it is. Every time I come in here and I see my little brother up pastoring his church, I can just look at him as my little brother and say, he's my little brother, John, I love him. But I get to look at a miracle because God chose him to be a pastor. He chose him to be a pastor over most of us sitting in here as his family. But yet we use that sometimes. Well, he's my uncle. He's my brother. He's my son. He's my cousin. It don't hold water with God. It don't. When God calls something to be set in stone, it's set in stone. He etched upon the tables the commandments of the Lord. And we could go through them all right now if you wanted to. You know what they are. You know to live by them. You know to understand them. You know to practice them in life. You know, right now I'm going through one of the toughest times in my life on my job. There's so much information being poured into my head, and my head just starts spinning. I left the day with a headache. I'm like, three minutes till five, I said, I got to go. I got up and walked out. I came home. Three minutes I walked off my job because I'm being bombarded with so much information. I can choose to let that information overwhelm me, or I can choose to apply that information where it needs to be applied and do my job better. Just like you. You come in here and you get these messages preached to you. You can choose to let them overwhelm you. And you can go, oh, well, he's just, that's my, that's my uncle. He knows me. He knows what I'm doing. He knows what I'm doing. Sister Peg, she's my aunt. She knows what I'm doing. She knows my sins. You know, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to be as hardcore honest as I know how to be with you. I don't get to come to church with my family. I get to come to church with my family. My family is my life. And I mean that from my church family to my natural family. You're my life. I don't have to go, well, I get to. No, I want to. That's one thing that we learned in team leadership development many, many years ago. Oh, I get to go to another one of those meetings? No, I get to go to another one of those meetings. I get to go to, oh, I got to go to church again. No, you get to come to church. You get to come to church. Stop using the things of this world to hold you out of the church. You can't tell me driving home from your job and you got 25, 30 minutes to get home. You can't tell me you can't run in and brush your teeth, comb your hair, and grab a sandwich and out the door and come to church. I don't buy it. I'll tell you why I don't buy it. Because for years, I drove from Trafalgar at 6 o'clock in the morning to Fountain Square to do a radio broadcast, turned around and drove back to Trafalgar, picked up my wife and Eric and drove back to Indianapolis to church. Don't talk to me about inconvenience. 
your little fingernail being hung up or your toenail being jammed ain't inconvenience to me. That's not inconvenience. Going to the hospital, getting out of your comfort zone, having to face people on their deathbed. Pastor John and I have had to do that quite a bit lately for some reason. I don't know what it's all about, but we've been put together and we've been called the bedsides of people passing. You know, as I was visiting with Brother Brad, Brother Brad the other day, I reached down, I took him by his hand. And I said, Brother Brad, I'm going to tell you something. And uh, he said, what's that? I said, I love you. He said, you know what, Brother Carl? I love you too. His wife kind of startled. He turned around and looked, and he's like, I don't say that word very lightly. He said, I don't tell very many people I love them. He said, that's not the way I was brought up. You know how good it made me feel to know that that man told me he loved me? That meant this church is doing something right. I didn't say Brother Carl was doing something right because Brother Carl ain't doing nothing right unless God allows it. I said this church is doing something right. He used to tell me all the time, when we'd go someplace or we'd be talking on the phone, he'd say, you know, when those young men come back and they laid their hands on me and they prayed, they don't know me. The people in the church didn't know me, but they came back and prayed for me. Guys, I'm telling you, you're making a difference. You're making a difference. It might be a small little difference, and it might be a great big, huge difference, but you're making a difference in people's lives. Continue to make the difference. Continue to let God work what God does. As the musicians come, I'm going to get ready to come to a close. And in closing, I would like to say, I want to ask you some questions. Tonight, I would like you to think on this and a few other things. Are you ready? Is there enough word of God written upon the tables of my heart to get me to heaven if I pass? Have I made the correct choices? See, the choices you make, they do affect other people. The choices you make does affect other people. think back Brother Delbert Streeby Sister Mildred Streeby Brother Ernie Grandpa Carr Brother Bond Brother Stogsdale think back about all these people Brother Stevenson Brother Urshan Pastor Carr I think about all these people all the time. You know, my son said something to me one time. He said, Dad, I, I don't like everything about you, but I'm going to pick the things that I do like, and I'm going to try to follow. I wasn't offended by that because all those people that I mentioned to you, they made small impacts in my life that made me the man I am today. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you today, tonight, I want you to think back on somebody in your life. Close your eyes for just a second, if you would. Clear your hearts, clear your minds. I want you to think back on something, that one particular person that stands out in your heart, not in your mind, 
but in your heart. Because in your heart, if they stand out there, they made a difference. They made a difference in your life. Have you done enough tonight to make a difference? Have you allowed people to make a difference? Have you given God time to work out the situations that you're facing? And there's some people in here right now underneath in the tone of my voice, you're facing some pretty dire situations. You're not knowing which way to go. You're not knowing if God is going to work it out for you. You done painted yourself in a corner. Now you just need help getting out. And you don't have time to wait for the paint to dry. How many people around you have seriously impacted your life? How many people have seriously made a difference? I'm going to throw a quote out to you that I read one time about Abraham Lincoln. They asked Abraham Lincoln, said, what would be the most devastating thing in your life? He stopped for a moment and he thought, and he said, it's not that I lived and died. Not at all. But it's that I lived and died and didn't make a difference in people's lives. You know, as Christians, as men and women, the children of God, Brother Paul, it's our job to make a difference in lives. That's what we're called to do. We're called to show people the glory of God. Yeah, we're going to see some struggles. Yeah, you're going to see some bent knees and scuffed knees and some broken hearts and even spend some time in a broken spirit. There's nothing you can do about it. That's defining you. I think back is, I remember reading about Jesus, how he was walking through the street and the cross on his back. It became more than he could burden and he could bear. He stumbled and he fell. They called a man to help him. You know, each and every one of us tonight are that man that's helping God tonight. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Each and every one of us are there to bear the burdens of one another. When my burdens get heavy, I can count on it. Somebody's going to know. I got a phone call or or text message this afternoon from a very special young lady in my life. I won't mention no names. She said, I just wanted to check on you and see if it's okay. And I said, I'm trying. Trying. It's going to be a rough few days, but I'm trying. She said, I wished I had words I could say, but I can only think of a few. She said, all is well. And I remember as I was preaching my son's funeral, my little brother sat in that cell booth. He must have been watching, and every time my knees would start to buckle or I'd start shaking, he'd walk up and he'd go, all's well. But Ken, I never have forgot that. I'll go to my grave, put that in my heart. All's well. Troubles come, troubles go. Blessings come, blessings go. But my word will stand forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away. 
my earth will, my, my word will stand forever. I thank you tonight for giving me an opportunity to share some things with you. I thank God tonight because I didn't bust out crying and tear up really bad. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. Especially when you think about the goodness of God. It could have been me laying in a hospital bed suffering with cancer. It could have been me grabbing my last breath and hoping the next one would come. It could have been me. The doctor said, we've done all we can do for you. I will send you home. I'm so glad that I serve a God that doesn't say I've done all I can do for you. Now I'm just going to send you away. I thank God today because I serve a God that no matter how broken I get, he's always there. He always knows what I need. Just like that text message today. I needed that text message. It was right on time. It was right on time. I'm asking you tonight, if you've done all you can do, and if you think you have, do some more.